Welcome, flower friends, to the Local Flowers Podcast, where you'll fall in love with local seasonal blooms even more by hearing the stories from flower farmers new and experienced. I'm your host, Rochelle, from Freckled Bloom Flower Farm. Welcome. Welcome back, friends, to this week's Flower Farmer Chat, where I had the privilege to talk with Jillian from Dusty Boots Flower Farm. She's located in the north-central Oregon Valley of Dufer, Oregon. What I love about this conversation and all of these conversations is they really are a chat between friends, and you'll hear us chatting about little rabbit holes that we go down, and I think that's what makes these conversations unique and special and something fun to listen to. So I hope you enjoy. On today's Flower Farmer Chat, I've got Jillian from Dusty Boots Flower Farm, and she's here in Oregon with me, but a different part of our state. I think what's really cool about Oregon is you could be at the beach, and an hour you could be in the mountains, and another couple hours you can be in the high desert to the very low desert. Oregon is so awesome. So welcome, Jillian, to the podcast. I'm so excited to hear your story. Hey, hi, I'm Jillian. Like Rochelle said, um, I have Dusty Boots Flower Farm farm in Dufer, Oregon. I'm on the other side of Mount Hood than Freckled Bloom Flower Farm. And we um, grow on, or I shouldn't say we, I, <laughs> we makes it sound way bigger than it is, grow on a, just under a quarter of an acre right now. A few years ago, we moved to Dufer. We actually lived in San Diego for a year. And then before that, we were in Portland. So city life for sure. My in-laws had retired out this way and it was kind of mid-COVID. We were in San Diego and we were like, what are we doing? We could have space, have our girls be closer to grandma and grandpa. So here we are in Dufer three years later. Um, it's a funny name. It's a small little town of about 600. And I don't think that includes us. We're kind of out of the town. So we're really rural. We live on about 140 acres. Not all of that can be flower farmable, <laughs> but I've got a little patch to grow. When we moved here, I turned 40 um, and I received Florette's cut flower book as a birthday gift. And I thought that winter, I could give it a try, grow some flowers. I had the space um, and just kind of give them away to neighbors and friends and new people that I'd meet. I took Lori Hernandez's. She has a little cut. It's like a cut flower garden course that's online on Three Acre Farm out of Michigan. I took her course that winter as well, just to kind of set myself up. And I totally geeked out on it all. Um, it was so fun. And so that spring, um, we built just two like 20 foot raised beds. I grew, had a great time. I loved giving the flowers away. It was just a fun, fun way to connect with um, my neighbor, you know, I should say quote neighbors because they're not, (laughs) not literally neighbors, but people that live on our road, people from church and people I'd encounter. The last year we built a big um, deer fenced area. It's probably maybe 200 by 30. So big for me going from two little 20 foot plots. Um, I grew some more kind of in preparation. I'm kind of like, I like to be really prepared (laughs) when I do new things. So I grew in a bigger space, kind of expanded what I had done before, which was, you know, kind of the basics, dahlias, sunflowers, zinnias, slosha, kind of those easy beginning flowers. And I had sold a handful, but gave a ton away. And I had a neighbor that was like, you need to enter your flowers in the county fair. And I was like, oh gosh, that feels out of my like comfort zone. And I drug my feet and I drug my feet and I entered them and we showed up and I won best in show, (laughs) which was so sweet. And I am 
found I'm very motivated by receiving a ribbon <laughs> as a prize. It put a little pep in my step like, oh, you know, maybe this flower thing really could be a thing. And she just kind of encouraged me like, give it a whirl. I think people around would be really excited if you started selling your flowers. So here I am this year. It's my first year. And I started just with some subscriptions and I was going to do the farmer's market. It ended up being once I started posting online about my subscriptions, people, it was kind of like I was filling a need that isn't out by us. If you go a little bit closer to the mountain, you have Hood River, and there's a lot of flower farmers out there. Farmer's Market has quite a few, I believe, that attend weekly, but ours, we just don't have that out this way. So my plan was to do the subscriptions, like I said, in the Farmer's Market, and I ended up getting kind of bombarded, might be an exaggeration, but approached by quite a few businesses around just really excited to have flowers available. And so I kind of partnered up with a business in town that does, there's sort of like a drop-in craft gift shop type place. So they have this really cool craft space and I have hosted, so far I did three classes. I had my last one on Saturday. So it was like a DIY um, bouquet, not DIY, I shouldn't say that, but like a bouquet arranging class where I taught people how to arrange a big, um, beautiful bouquet. And that has been my favorite thing so far this year. In addition to that, I've done a handful of events. I've done way more than I was anticipating. And so the farmer's market, I just didn't even get to give it a try just because I think I'm filling kind of like a crazy, a crazy little spot out here that I didn't realize I'd be filling. Heading to the end of it, my subscriptions, I kind of was just throwing everything out to see what would stick. So I kind of offered probably too many options. So I'm still rounding the bend to fulfill the last of those, just the way my season started. So I had an early summer summer, a late summer, and then a full summer. And it's been really fun. You know what I've learned <laughs> is do not underestimate these teeny little towns yes. if you're wanting to flower farm because the thing is they don't have the resources. Mm -hmm. You know, to go to a wholesaler means a five-hour drive sometimes yeah. to go pick up flowers. Mm -hmm. And I feel for florists that want to try to have a business out there, mm -hmm. the overhead's too expensive. Mm -hmm. So don't underestimate those small 600 population towns because there's a need out there mm -hmm. that people still want joy in their life and so I just great job Jillian oh. that's amazing to hear yeah. you know being in a small town where we don't have a local florist mm -hmm. anymore we we have but there's been so much turnaround because again going to the whole overhead expense it's too expensive and flowers cost so much these days oh. that they just can't afford to because oftentimes too in these small communities, people don't want to spend $125 on a happy birthday bouquet. Sure. They want something that's more affordable that they can also buy bread. Yes. So <laughs> I think that's really exciting. And you may have to skip the farmer's market yeah. and just go straight to your customers. So totally. <laughs> that's and awesome. We have um, two girls, 10 and 12. And I think we were finding as we looked at our summer, because I was saying yes to everything that was coming my way just to see what would stick. We kind of booked ourselves out. And so I think next year we'll like kind of be a little more intentional about what I say yes and block out some time just because it, we definitely had a flower filled summer, which was good for them. I think it's good for them to see their mom do something really hard and really stretching and try to grow and they get to be a part of it for the most part. So I feel like there's good that comes from it, but I also don't want it to take front seat to their memories and experience. 
Oh, that is a topic Girl. that is near and dear <laughs> to my heart. I too have a, well, a 12-year-old and almost 11-year-old, mm-hmm. and they're at this stage in their life where this year really has hit me emotionally very hard of, wow, they're really growing up, and this can be very all-consuming. Yes. And I think the challenge is, too, you're trying to, there's this pressure to be profitable, mm-hmm. and with that, you have to grow a lot well and then two the kids are super active Mm -hmm. like you said the summertime they're here and historically when I had a corporate job we would go on camping trips and all the things I have found I want to just be able to maintain this myself Mm -hmm. that's my choice and so how can I navigate that moving forward and it's a big challenge so as you head into your next season kind of what are some of your strategies or do you have any thoughts you'd like to share about that topic? Yeah. Um, so we homeschool, so we are together all the time. <laughs> so it's good in that, I think an entrepreneurial vein that kind of runs in our family. Anyway, my husband, he does have a corporate job, but also has a business where he sources nursery supplies to tree nurseries and different things. And then I've had an Etsy shop before. And then now this, and so I see my girls, one of them has an Etsy shop. One of them really loves to help me out. She loves running the credit card square reader. Like that's her favorite thing to do. So it's fun to get them involved. I just, like I said, I don't want it to take front seat to their memories of their summers. My husband and I are really good at kind of flying by the seat of our pants. And so we are finding that we just need to be a little bit more proactive, like sit down in March, which feels very early for us and just really map out our summer and have some like talk about our priorities because we were just kind of winging it this year. And then all of a sudden I like booked us out and we didn't have space to go camping or take a little vacation, even if it's just a handful of days. So I think we'll do that. And that'll be really good for us anyway, (laughs) as we're good at flying by the seat of our pants to be a little more intentional about like how we're going to spend our time and what I say yes to. But like you said, there's that pressure to be profitable. Like the whole, I don't want to be like, you know, (laughs) losing money. (laughs) You got to be doing something for good. So well, and another disadvantage to being in smaller communities is that help is pretty limited too. So that's another consideration is even if you want help, it's like good luck trying to find good help. And then I imagine is your community pretty agricultural Mm -hmm. based? So if you've got, you know, demands and other farmers looking for help, it can be a little challenging. Yeah, for sure. So the closest, we joke and call it the big city, it's the Dalles and it's about 16,000. So we joke about going to the big city. We're probably about, depending on where you go in town, 25 to 30 minutes away from there. We do for itself is very agricultural community. Um, Wheat farming is probably the biggest one. I have a hay farmer on one side and an alfalfa field across the road and then a lot of ranchers, so cattle and stuff. So there's a very, very agricultural vein that runs through the town. I'm hoping that I could like meet some kids that want to go more horticultural route or FF, you know, some FFA kids that could even just come when, if we do 
do go on vacation that they could at least just monitor and weed a little bit to just maintain where we're at. They wouldn't have to sell necessarily. I think something like that could be really great. So I'm hoping to bump into somebody for things like that. Yeah. And you know, the FFA program, they do have a floriculture piece of it. So you should definitely reach out to the FFA advisor and be like, hey, I have this amazing opportunity Mm -hmm. that not only from just doing community service, Mm -hmm. I feel like just connecting with the kids in the schools. I've done a lot of it this last year and it's been so rewarding, but it's also like kind of cultivating a new generation of flower lovers because if they don't have a connection to it, Mm -hmm. it's going to be an even more challenge for us to sell flowers moving forward. So just an idea. Yeah, I love that. Being neighbors to big alfalfa and wheat fields. Let's talk about pests. Oh, girl. Oh, my gosh. um, (laughs) You've got the buffet on both sides of you. I love my field so much. It's like anytime somebody cuts, it's like, oh, batten down the hatches. Here come the tarnished plant bugs and the white flies. And oh, man, I battle it really, really hard. And I feel like I need to talk to somebody who could like advise me well in it. It's really hard to know what to do and to I think to be proactive for it. Now that I know what's coming and, you know, I've grown long enough that I can kind of see like what comes with temperature, what comes when they cut. It is really hard. I'd say it's harder than the deer pressure. And we have deer like down in my field all the time. The bugs are the worst. That's for sure. Because have you decided to be organic or? At this point, I've been just sort of battling it out. So I've used more organic spray, but I have had to spray. Um, I I couldn't believe it. I'd never seen, I'd, see, I'd had tarnished plant bugs. I feel like this year, I don't know, was probably the worst. But I don't know. I've only done this three times, so I don't really know. I do feel like the bugs were the worst. I had this tarnished plant bug like cloud happening where I'd like hit the yarrow and they just fly up. And I was like, I have seen them. I've had them. I've seen their damage, you know, not my favorite damage, but it's tolerable. But this, it was like I had to knock them down. There were just so many. I couldn't believe it. I have no words. I don't even know what to say, what you could do. And maybe this is where connect with your extension agent and maybe have a conversation. But I find what's interesting about us is that get advertisements to go to these farm conferences. But I'm like, yeah. And coming from a family farming background myself, they kind of all just laugh at me like she's growing flowers so that's a a big challenge is just you know who can be a resource so we need to very unique a very unique position to be in because i you know there's a lot of farmers that aren't surrounded by very very agricultural you know crop dusting and all of that so it's been really tricky and i think it's tricky to i just want to do the right thing and there's so many really great and strong opinions out there And it's like my situation is kind of unique to what uh, somebody else might have strong feelings about. And so I think I just want to try to do the best I can with what I have. And this is where I have decided personally not to grow things that I'm going to constantly battle Mm -hmm. with. So are there plants or flowers that I'll jump into my hardest question. Like you've found that you've absolutely loved or the ones that you just have battled so hard with that you just aren't going to do it anymore. 
Zinnia, Zinnias love it here. They love the heat. We are not, we are high. I think we're pretty considered pretty high desert or at least, yeah, we're not. Yeah. So we're kind of in between. I'm, we're pretty close to the mountains. So we're a little bit higher elevation. Um, so we have this kind of unique temperature where we get very hot in the day and cool at night. Zinnias are so happy here. I feel like those Some people love them. Some people hate them. I love them. They grow really, really well for me. And they just can tolerate a lot. Like they might get affected a little bit by white flies or tarnished plant bugs or grasshoppers, but it's not going to knock. I have not experienced it knocking them all out. So those are like my must grow. I love the big ones. They just are so pretty and they're happy at my house. I go back and forth about dahlias and they're, they are my all-time favorite flower. They are so special and beautiful and they're such divas. So they're worth the hard work, I think, but the bugs love them here. And I I don't know if it just needs to be, like I said before, survival of the fittest and whatever dahlias can survive, make it. I have an exceptional problem with white flies and I talked to our extension agent about it and she kind of was just like, they're really bad here. Yeah. So I still want to grow them. And they're just so I mean, they're just so special. But they're the ones that I really have to work to get them to to be happy. Have you found a particular variety to be more successful? Because I know that well, earwigs are absolutely Mm. horrible. (laughs) But I found that the really tight ball dahlias, especially the minis, which I use a lot, especially in like wedding work, and I do, you know, corsages and stuff. And the little minis are like the perfect dahlia for corsages and that little work that you need to do. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to be adding a lot more of those. So have you found a particular variety that's or form that's better? I think the ball does the best here. Um, I think as beautiful as they are, the more water lily type or like, you know, those big dinner plates, there's just like so much time that happens that bugs can affect them. But and also I was struggling this year with vase life at the beginning. You know, I'm cutting them early, not letting them fully open all the way and they just last like two days. So I think the ball dahlias, now that we've had some rain and I increased our watering, the vase life has increased, but those just seem to tolerate everything a whole lot better. So I may move to just growing, try just growing those all together. A unique thing that happened to us this year or me is I have never had gophers and I have gophers and I stopped counting. I only, I grew about 250 dahlias this year, but I stopped counting at 25. They would eat the tuber and I have this big, beautiful plant, even with a bloom on top. And I'd go out and it was wilted over and I'd pull it out. No tuber. So these little stinky gophers are under <laughs> underground eating the Dahlia tubers and just having so much fun. And our dog is not helpful. And we have like an old queen barn cat that was my mother-in-law's um, that she needs to retire because she's not helping either. So we're hoping once we, we are going to till at the end to try and like flesh them out and then go from there. So my husband may be behind me with a BB gun or something (laughs) trying as I till it out. So they've been terrible and I've not experienced anything like that before. I haven't experienced gophers. The only time I did when I was um, swathing hay for my dad and it was always the worst thing to hit a gopher hole and you're just like, boom, there goes the 
swather. It's like, oh, so they are a pesty one. And I didn't realize they eat the dahlia tubers. That's awful. I watched, I feel like I'm an expert on mole, like mounds, vole mounds and gopher mounds. And they are classically gopher mounds. I still haven't seen them, which is really frustrating. I just like to see one so I can just be like, you stinker. Or if our dog could get one, I don't know. She's just, I'm letting her dig. So there's all these like landmines around. If I break my ankle, it's because of that. It's just been bad. (laughs) This is where growing in crates, is that maybe an option to like at least trial to see if that could work? I'd be curious. We'll have to ask this gopher question with some more of our friends. Yeah, for sure. I know. We are so dry that we need like serious moisture all the time. So we've talked about, and I don't know if people do this, So, but like digging a big trench and then lining it with hardware cloth. Because I'll line what I do tulip I'm doing tulips for the first time so I'll be planting those in a couple weeks um and we'll be lining beds with hardware cloth and I know that helps with voles I don't know so (laughs) it's risky business this flower farming yes it is and this is where we have to tell our stories because people need to understand what goes into producing those flowers and that like you know a dollar a stem is not gonna cut it seriously (laughs) especially on the dahlias it's like after 25 I was like I can't is hurting my heart too bad. I can't, I have to stop counting because it's just <laughs> painful. And some of those varieties oh, cost a pretty penny and you go through torture trying to get them. So Seriously. I feel that pain. Yes. So uh, tell us a little bit about your customer base and your community. You know, I have found that especially around here, you know, folks are growing gardens. So I've really had to focus in on those flowers that like zinnias, for instance, they're beautiful, but everybody's growing them in their backyard. So I'm trying to focus on different flowers, especially in a smaller community too, trying to create a product that's shiny enough that they're willing to reach out to to you for. So I'm curious a little bit more about your community and how you've selected certain flowers to kind of fill that customer demand. I do think a lot of my customers actually don't have gardens and that could be part of it. Like they would be gals that would be buying their stuff at Safeway. Safeway or Fred Meyer's kind of our option here, unless there is one florist, but she's the beautiful $75 bouquet kind of thing. So I think that these are gals that would be treating themselves to flowers at the grocery store. I have, I think I do like kind of a mix. And so I've picked unique colors and kind of those Benaries or the um, Queen Lime series of zinnias. So they're more unique than, you know, that bright pink or bright yellow that people would typically get in their zinnia mix at the, like at the grocery store or at um, the hardware store. People think Celosia is like the coolest thing. Like they've called it the feather. What's the feathery one? And there's just so many beauty. And that is so happy here. Um, it loves the heat. It gets revived at night. Um, I have some, and I haven't had this before, but like, I'm 5'8 and almost as tall as myself. So those kind of those crops that really like the heat um, have been happy and people really enjoy those. Now that the dahlias are finally so happy, they're so happy now that it's almost over. (laughs) People are like over the moon by the dahlias and those are hard to grow out this way because you have to dig them up. Can't leave them in the ground because it gets too cold and they're just such divas. People don't typically aren't successful at growing them. So I think it's, yeah, I think that would be my customer base and kind of what they're seeing in the bouquets that they're really liking. That's an excellent thing to point out is 
even some of the most difficult flowers to grow for us as flower farmers might be actually your niche because yes. there's no way in heck anybody's going to give up um, the fight to a gopher for a dahlia. <laughs> so they'll just go support you. Totally, <laughs> so. totally, totally. I think next year I'm hoping to do Lysianthus, I think, because the, it sounds like they like the heat. They'll, they'd be really happy. And I do feel like you can only do so many zinnias, Jillian. Like, and I think people really, really enjoy that. I'm trying to think of what else. Um, I did some big marigolds. Sunflowers have been a complete bust this year. The thrips, like, I don't know. I couldn't rinse, a, you know, you're trying to swish it out. Like it just wasn't worth worth it. And so strangely enough, one of the easier ones to grow have been a bust for me. So I go back and forth. I'm like, I'm going to do it again. It was just a unique year of way too many bugs and we'll be more proactive at the beginning. This is where you got to try it to learn <laughs> because nobody's going to have that experience <laughs> like you do. So no, I and I'm team Lizzie Anthony, so, so I think fun. you need to try. Yeah, <laughs> You need to try. Awesome. They're so pretty. And like I said earlier, I was telling her, like, I gave this bouquet away and she had never seen these Lizzie so ever in her life. And she still to this day talks about that bouquet to my oh, husband. So do you field, do you grow them in your field? Okay. Yeah, I do. But what I've learned a lot this year is they are very disease prone. Oh, they are. Okay. And so I rotated my space. Mm-hmm. I didn't plant them in the same space but I had a lot of problems and let's talk about moles those little suckers kept coming up (laughs) yeah and they kept pushing up the seedlings but I think they eat the roots as well oh that is Um, the worst it's like eat the plant come on just eat the whole thing just be It's too painful. Well, and it was like you would just, you would watch it grow, grow, and then it would just die. So I saw a reel of somebody growing them in pots. And so, yeah, like this is where you have so much pest problems that it might make sense to grow in raised beds because you just got to get that distance between those little suckers. So, gosh. (laughs) I might try to plant some Lysianthus in either I'm going to make raised beds or do pots because I feel like you can plant them so close together. I don't use netting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so um, I plan, even when I planted them this year, I'm like, this is really close. And then now that they're big plants and they're holding each other up, I'm like, I could have went closer. And I think especially you can maximize your space so much with them. And they're so beautiful. So beautiful. And especially if you don't have any rain, Mm -hmm. this time of year, if you're not getting a bunch of rain, Mm Like they would be the perfect flower because this is what I'm struggling with right now is we're getting the rain. Mm-hmm. And so I'm having to go out and hoop and cover yeah. them. Heirloom mums might be one I to try. I was just reading about those yesterday and um, I think that they could be really fun and happy here too. It's funny, the vase life part of it. So the way, and I'm going to restructure next year, but the subscriptions were every other, I did them every other week thinking, oh, people would want them every other week. They wouldn't want them every week. And people have been like so excited about the vase life that now the dahlias are here and they just, they don't last two weeks. I had a lady like come up to me at an event. She was like, your bouquet lasted two and a half weeks. And I'm like, it did. Oh my gosh. And I was like, and then she's recommending my flowers. And then this gal wanted, her friend wanted dahlias. And I was like, I just have to tell you, 
this is not going to last two weeks. They're so beautiful and worth it. But it was it felt like a weird thing to try to like navigate. I'm like talking down these beautiful flowers, but I didn't want our expectations to be too high. That is real because I have that same experience. Like I pride myself when people send me a text message or call me and say, dude, this lasted like I'm still, I always tell them to have a little bud vase so they can put those everlasting flowers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, into a bud vase and they, and you set the expectation high. So yeah, I'm the same like whenever the dahlias come around I'm like I just get on social media and mm-hmm. I tell them over and over again like these are beautiful but they're not gonna last as long oh. and that's where the ball dahlias yeah. I focused more on because mm-hmm. now people have really high expectations yes. yes I set them up you know and I'm gonna do I did like this trial patch of ranunculus last year and they it was kind of weird because they're kind of hard so we'll see how it actually goes but they last forever and so you're starting at the beginning of the season with this like kind of high expectation and then you end with this short but they're worth it right they're worth it well and going to my earlier point especially in these areas where most people have never seen a ranunculus Mm -hmm. that could be an amazing niche for you just and you don't get that in the grocery store totally like Oh, they're, the, they're so beautiful. I did not say that, but I, they are one of my top. They're just so extra. I love them. So this year you did the three different subscriptions. Mm-hmm. How do you think you'll approach that next season? And what's been your lessons learned from kind of breaking it up? Because yeah. I decided for myself, I'm just doing one mm-hmm. and that's what I can manage. So I'm curious, what's been your experience and what will you do moving forward? Sure. I had about like kind of at the peak, about 20 altogether. It changed a little bit just with the people that did the full season. I was really surprised at how many signed up for the full season. I think I thought people would be more comfortable with the four weeks and spending that amount of money given where we are at. So I think next year I will do every week. I'm still trying to figure out how to structure it. Um, I think I did like having like the two halves because it was very different flowers that people got. People loved that middle. So I think I had them like overlapping kind of in the middle and it just made my brain kind of spin on paper it was a little bit confusing so I think if I just had like a strict like a four week and a full or you could even do six and six I'm still trying to figure that out so if you have any tips I'd really appreciate I had a lot of people give them as gifts which was really sweet and fun I got partnered up the business that I had taught classes with they um, were my subscription spot in the Dells so most people did pick up there I have a handful that come out to our place I have like a little flower stand in our driveway. Um, That's a little horse trailer that we painted turquoise and it's really cute. So I think as word gets out more people, I'm hoping more people in Do For Well want to be a part of that. A lot of people just like to text me and get a bouquet and I just pop it out in the stand right now. But And I think too, when the word gets out, especially if you can do some really cool events in the Dalles, Mm -hmm. there's pretty big population there Mm -hmm. too. And so can you tell I'm kind of from the area? (laughs) (laughs) Is that where you grew up? No, but I, I grew up in Hermiston, oh, yeah. but I go to my grandparents lived in Hood River. Oh, so I've always been back and forth with, with the Dalles. Yeah. And I did outreach with healthcare. Oh. Uh, girl, you should totally reach out to someone like breweries mm-hmm. or there's so many like kind of unique businesses totally. if you did like a pop-up. Yes. So this little business that I was talking about, it's not little. She's great. She um, has had a business in the Dalles for a long time. Honestly, she's been like the biggest booster for me. I think she saw when I first started putting myself out there, kind of like, 
oh, what am I doing? She contacted me right away and was like, can you do a pop-up for Mother's Day? And like at that point, I didn't have flowers at Mother's Day. I don't have a hoop house. I mean, I do like little tunnels, but we're really windy. And so all of that's been really challenging to get like that really, really early season. And we're closer to the mountains. So our elevation is just our nighttime temperatures stay really low in the spring. So you have to cover stuff up to keep things happy. Anyway, all that to say this gal, her name's Lindsay, her her shop's called The Workshop and it's adorable and like this cool spot in the Dalles. Lots of local gifts. They're really supportive of of the community. And so she's been so wonderful in that I've had my pickups at her spot. They have this cute old truck inside and we just load up my subscription bouquets in there. She's kind of like, anytime you have extras, come pop in and do a pop-up. So I've really been able to connect with people through her being so willing to have me. And that's where I've done the three classes, little workshops there. And then they just kind of have like first Friday events. And I've done like a DIY bar a handful of times. So they've been so wonderful. I'm so excited for you. There's so much opportunity. And that's where I said in the beginning, don't discount these small little towns because oftentimes people don't have something like this in their little town. And it's just that little bit of something that, you know, people can enjoy outside of just going down to the, you know, snack shack and getting a hamburger. Like there's still families within these smaller communities and they want something to do. So Mm -hmm. Jillian, I I see the possibilities as endless oh, for you. That's so I'm really excited. Yeah, we're hoping actually to, we'll see. We'll see insurance wise. And if we can really do it, like we'd have to really dial in our place. But we're hoping to do a U-Pick. When people come to the events like the DIY bar, it's always little kids making these bouquets. And it's just so fun. And I kind of float like, hey, would you ever drive way out to do for Like, would you come, you know, 25 minutes or 30 minutes to do that? And people would said that they'd be so excited. They just kind of, hey, we don't have anything. You have to go to Hood River for experiences like that. There's not a lot of you pick that type of things out this way to do. So that's my big hope for next year. We'll see. I'm hoping we can get it all dialed up, but we'll see. That is so exciting. I can't wait to see what you do in the next year and the years to come. So you mentioned the high tunnels. And so tell us a little bit more about your growing conditions. I've always been team like, oh, we don't get paid enough for these flowers. So Mm -hmm. I am not spending all winter hooping and covering (laughs) stuff. I've focused more on direct seedings. And this is where I've learned just like within even this last year, you know, I direct seed a lot of cool flowers in the fall and just say if you survive you are incredible (laughs) and then I do early spring Mm -hmm. another kind of succession of cool flowers like you mentioned Mother's Day I am especially in these small towns where there isn't a resource if you could focus just on selling all your flowers on Mother's Day you might be set for the rest of the season (laughs) that would be amazing I know so like that's kind of my target in the sky is you know Mother's Day and but I have said I am not for as much as we work I am not doing all that crazy winter stuff and that's a choice I've made so I'd love to hear because you talked about the wind Mm -hmm. and it is very windy in your area about how you deal with that so that you do have kind of that spring crop. Yes. So this last year was my first time doing anything early, early. Um, 
pre like frost, you know, last frost. I think I can push it even more. I am not planting anything right now in the fall. I'm going to wait till late winter, early spring. And I, I can cover a little bit with, you know, frost cloth and things. Um, but it is very much survival of the fittest here because the wind is just really crazy. And we do get we didn't get as much snow last year, but we do get a pretty heavy snow load just because our elevation's a little bit higher. Yeah. So with the wind, I net a lot of things. There's a lot of things I didn't think I needed to this year that I probably should have. My plot is set up east to west. I think that helps just because then things aren't, you know, narrow and falling over that way. So having it set up that way, but I probably should at least be corralling a lot of things, but like crests was a bust for me. It just flopped, kind of just would flop over with the wind and then it was bent and it wasn't like ideal shape to pop into bouquets. So all of that was direct seeded. So really low commitment, just the price of seeds kind of thing. So it wasn't a big loss, but it was a loss of space, you know, that usable space. With the wind, I net snapdragons, I net zinnias, I should net some of my celosia or corral it. I think if even it had a corral on the edges, it would keep things kind of a little more upright. Um, dahlias, I did like a Christine Albrecht, kind of what she does. It's almost like you're making like X's through your, your T posts. That has worked out fine. I think that that has enough support, but yeah, we get crazy windy, like 40 mile per hour gusts kind of are just a thing that happen regularly. So yeah, so it's a little bit challenging out this way. I, I try not to hold on to things too tightly. (laughs) Like last year, we, and this is where, you know, before you go and invest so much in infrastructure, (laughs) if you're starting your farm from scratch, is you really got to live in your space for at least like two seasons. (laughs) Because I know that's really hard, but I at least don't do the infrastructure. Because I too, I like, my road is like kind of a canal. Mm -hmm. And so I planted my stuff east to west because that's, you know, the sun rises and sets Mm -hmm. but yeah like you said that wind especially the last year we got it and it just whipped through my field and it just plowed my dahlias I just so sad sad. because my husband was making that comment like your flower field looks gorgeous this time of year did not look like that I'm like you forgot the (laughs) windstorm we got that just took them everything it took everything out I don't net because I don't really need to and I focus Mm -hmm. on planting close and corralling Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that was a harsh lesson. So the wind, it can be such a harsh mother nature element that it's hard to deal with. Totally. As you're planning your field, if I have any advice for anybody, Mm -hmm. it's at least live in that season for two years to see how how the wind or the sun and all that stuff factors into how your flowers are going to cope. Yes, that's (laughs) really good advice. Because I was trying to kind of push my husband. So I went for like, the NCRS grant and they aren't offering them in our county for flower farms. So I was kind of like trying to bug my husband, like, Hey, can we squeeze this? And he's like, I just don't think that makes sense right now. And it is probably really prudent and wise. I would like to put in like a cooler. I'm finding the way that I need to harvest and all of that. It would just, I wouldn't be so pressure for the day. Cause I want the vase life to be as, I want them as fresh as I can do. So you know, just having like sunflowers or dahlias in a beer fridge, that's not really enough space. So I think we are going to be putting in a like a cool bot um, type unit, like 
kind of insulating a room in our barn and doing that. I'm right there with the cooler. Like I, (laughs) my whole house is just full of flowers all the time (laughs) and air conditioned rooms and my family is ready to kill me. So (laughs) I will be so happy for you when this happens because I I I know exactly. (laughs) Yeah. My husband, my husband hunts. So it's, he's hoping for it to be a dual purpose, which I can, I can seasonally, I think that could work out. Okay. (laughs) So funny you said that because we just had that conversation. So, and he does Christmas trees. So, and the spring especially is when he is planting Christmas tree seedlings. And it's funny how those seedlings always end up in my cooler. (laughs) And I'm like, I have tulips. You do not understand. Like, figure out something else. So, it's a top priority for both of us Mm -hmm. this this winter. (laughs) I'm just curious about as we transition into this next season, any lessons learned? from this season into next that you'd like to share or we're headed into fall and this is kind of the time in which we are just evaluating the season and planning for next year. Mm-hmm. So I just love to hear any thoughts you might have. Yeah, I um, I wish I would have taken better notes, like always had a notebook with me because, you know, you can have all these great plans at the beginning. Like I had my map, I had my numbers, I had, you know, all the seedlings and when I started them and all that. And then it got to the point where they just needed to get in the ground. And so I didn't keep great like track of when I was planting what and what worked and what didn't. I never really wrote that down. I think I for some reason thought I'd remember and I feel like my brain capacity is kind of maxed out. So I really wish I would have taken better like notes of what went in when and when it bloomed and what I think I have an idea of colors. But even then, I wish I would have like written it down so I could really back on that um, going forward for next year. Uh, That is an excellent piece of advice because like you said, we forget there's just so much going on in our Mm -hmm. brain that it is good. And that's why I say my notebook, but there's a lot of empty pages in that notebook too. So, but even the colors, Mm -hmm. like as you're building bouquets, Mm -hmm. I'm like, dude, you should have way more burgundy, especially this time of year. So as you're starting to order seeds, Mm -hmm. and this is another thing is I started to order my seeds in kind of smaller quantities, Mm -hmm. starting making a list like after spring, like I used a lot of this, this and this, and then maybe start purchasing it for the next season, just Mm -hmm. like what we do with bulbs. Mm -hmm. So then it's not such a big financial purchase too at one time. Yeah. That would, but you're close to it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've started to do that too. It's just the mail comes and my kids are like, why is it always flower seeds? (laughs) That's so cute. I do think so. I did not plan. So I'm trying to think of, I think I wished I had more quantity of certain colors at a time. I think I didn't know going into, especially, I think I wasn't expecting to have the amount of subscriptions, but being able to like go and harvest a ton of, you know, Benary's white zinnias at once, it was kind of like I'd get five and then I'd have five purple. And, you know, I really love like putting together the colors and having a really cohesive um, bouquet. And so I think having like just more quantity of the same colors and the same for dahlias, I think I just need to have a certain amount of different colors that I want. And then the same, I was kind of ordering like three of this, three of this, you know, three, cause I love those. Well, three plants is not enough to like fill 
fill 20 bouquets of the same flowers. So I 100% agree because mm-hmm. I've really been in that pinch this year mm-hmm. because I've really focused on diversity, mm-hmm. but I have a little too much diversity. Totally. But at the same time, I have narrowed in on what I actually like and what I actually use mm-hmm. going to the ball dahlias and the mini balls. Mm-hmm. Like I would have never thought, you know, when I was initially ordering and looking on Instagram, like, oh, that's so pretty. And then it's like, I did not use that because the earwigs ate all of it. And that was not worth a $25 tuber. So, you know, like, this is where you live and you learn too. And then... So do you have a roadside stand? Um, So that was the other thing. I think I was expecting to be able to have that regularly. I was, I just wasn't expecting to have as many opportunities as I did. So wasn't able to have regular hours on it this year. I have opened it up recently um, and kind of pumped it out like on Facebook. Everybody here uses Facebook more than Instagram, although I prefer Instagram. So I kind of pumped it on Facebook. And it last weekend, and it was the first time I'd really had it like open, open with like publicized stuff, had a ton of pumpkins, just they were definitely survival of the fittest. And they did really well, <laughs> so much that people are like, maybe you should have a pumpkin patch. I'm like, oh, man, well, maybe I should. So a ton of people came last weekend to grab pumpkins. They really love those dried flower, solution straw flower. That is my hope for next year, too, to be able to have that open a little more regularly so people can just pop by and grab a bouquet. I think the roadside stand is so interesting because it's almost like some a sensing session. Mm-hmm. What are people buying? And for me, it's been like, what colors do they like? Mm. Blush is not something that they like. <laughs> the dried flower pumpkins, I've been not so happy with myself the last couple weekends because nobody's buying flowers except for my diehards which I absolutely (laughs) love you guys if you're listening my customers that are oh wait and they know who they are I love you but like I'm not selling any flowers Mm -hmm. but the dried flower pumpkins oh man gone it's so funny (laughs) I mean they're really cute I just had no idea that people would buy like four at a time (laughs) well this is where it's different. It's unique. Mm-hmm. They've never seen it before. Totally. And especially in these smaller communities, mm-hmm. they've never had a chance to ha- see something like that. Mm-hmm. And so, and they make the perfect gift. Mm-hmm. Like that's the biggest thing yeah. I've heard is just, oh, I have a housewarming party to go to or, or a baby shower <laughs> that I did pumpkins for a baby shower. Oh, so I think the roadside stand, if anything, is a great opportunity to understand what your community yeah. wants. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I love that. That's a really good, that's a really good point. Well, and it can also just add as a pickup location. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a separate stand now because I just didn't want the confusion between the roadside stand and any special Mm pickups. So it's just another opportunity for people to kind of pick up, you know, any special orders Mm -hmm. if you can coordinate that. Now with the roadside stand, I'd be curious. So you're pretty far out of town. And so think people would drive out. That's sometimes the challenge is people. I live in BFE and although it's only 15 minutes from town, there's still those people are like, it's too, too far. far. Yes. I do feel like people do feel that way. Um, at the very beginning of the season, I, it, I did give it a whirl. Like I had all these Snapdragons and cute, like cute bouquets and like three people came by. It's interesting though. Now, um, the weather is different. You know, it, people want to go on a drive. I had a lady 
She drove from White Salmon, which is probably 55 minutes from me. And she drove from White Salmon yesterday to pick up some of those little dried pumpkins. And she wrote a little note and put it in the cash box and was like, it was such a beautiful drive. I'm so glad I came. So I was like, sure to like post that for people to see. I've had people driving from the Dells to grab these pumpkins. So I feel like maybe it's a seasonal thing. It'll be interesting next year now that the word is a little bit more out that I have flowers if people want to swing by. I'm still happy to give it a try. That is actually a huge advantage for you because it is super beautiful out where you're Mm -hmm. at with the trees and the autumn. And so you may have to plan some uh, reels uh, to promote. That's a great idea. It may may be a drive, but Mm -hmm. look at the experience you're getting. So as as you're planning for next year. Yeah, this is where I'm super excited for you. The possibilities are endless. So crazy. (laughs) Well, friend, I so appreciate your time. And this has been such a great conversation. You know, as you're wrapping up your first season, um, which sounds like it's been a really great learning opportunity Mm -hmm. and successful for you. Are there any words of advice that you give to anybody or just any other thoughts that you'd like to share with our audience? Well, as daunting as it feels to hear no. I think asking is such like, they can say no, and then they're not the person for you, whether it's asking somebody for you to be a pickup there, because I did have to ask, hey, can I do my, can I have you be a location for pickups? And she was like, of course, can we get a bouquet out of the deal? So every week, I just leave her with a bouquet. It's great advertising for me. So I feel like as much as you feel so nervous in the moment to ask, it's a really easy thing. And if they say no, then move on to the to the next coffee shop or ice cream shop or whatever. And then I think, you know, that first year that I grew, I was really attached to everything I grew. You know, it was like I bought all the florette seeds and I bought the Swan Island dahlias and I had the book and it was going to be beautiful and I was holding really tightly to it. I think this year, definitely with the gophers and the bugs, I've just had to hold it really loosely when and I heard somebody say you know when mother nature is your business partner it's it's not this thing that you can can control with your you know your inventory of items it's hard but it's really good to like kind of hold it all a little bit loose and my husband's always kind of saying because I'm I get a little bit stressed out I don't want to let people down I think that's like my great fear is like letting customers down or having somebody have a bad experience he's like there's always a way to make it better you can always give a refund and they're going to be happy with that so just reminding myself like problems are always solvable and it's really easy and you may have to lose some money and that's totally okay for a happy customer and somebody that will come back and enjoy your flowers. So many great points. That is so great. I love it. And like you said, yep, you can always make it right, you know, and that's where also education is important. It's just letting people know like your process Mm -hmm. and the flowers and like we talked about the dahlias and just letting them know they're not going to last a week Mm -hmm. like the celosia and just continue to like have that conversation. And then too, if something goes wrong, like you said, I'll reimburse you or I'll give you another bouquet. Mm -hmm. And most people are very open and want to support you. So I just love that. Friend, has there been anybody that's inspired you on your journey that you'd like to give a shout out to as I wrap up this conversation? Yeah. um, So Lori Hernandez, I talked to her little um, video course, Three Acre Farm. Taking that was just so helpful. She is super attentive to, there's like a forum um, within the 
I think it's on Teachable. I can't remember whatever platform it's on. And she always responds to any question you have. And then her vision for her flowers. I just really appreciate all of her thoughts. She's so thoughtful with it all and following her story. I just, I find her really encouraging and inspiring. I love it. I might have to reach out to her, see if she'll join us on the podcast. She'd be great. (laughs) How can folks find you for inspiration or if they're locally, how can they purchase your flowers? As we're heading into next season and the holiday season, how may they buy your subscription? Yes, for sure. So I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Um, I'm pretty active on both just because the flowers are so pretty. You got to share them. And then my website, I do have a newsletter. um, And so there's a pop-up on the website to subscribe to that. My subscribers kind of get all the dish first. It's, you know, it's just a small group. It's probably a hundred right now, but it's so interesting in that those classes that I had mentioned, you know, the first one it's sold out. The second one sold out on Facebook. The third one sold out just by my subscribers. So getting in on that list, I think is like, it's been great for me to have that, but also great for those people to know that there's a little perk to subscribing. And I share, I haven't been as regular. That's a goal for next year, but share stories about the farm and what's going on and then how you can get bouquets. So I'll be pumping the subscriptions um, through there first. I love it. So I'm going to, before we totally wrap up. So do you use a particular platform for your newsletter mm-hmm. or also I've just done Gmail, but I need to switch. Oh, yeah. Um, so anything you can share on just email lists, like any platforms that have been helpful for you? I just did MailChimp because it was kind of the first one that popped up. I'm sure there's some that they all seem pretty similar and easy. Like it's very easy to build a template and get it looking cute. You can make a landing page through them, which I also have that I kind of pop on Instagram or Facebook for people to sign up when they're asking about different things. I heard, I can't remember who it was, but talked about Instagram or Facebook being rented land for you. And so that could go away at any time. So being sure you have people kind of moved over to something that that belongs to you um, is really helpful. And that kind of stuck with me. And I was shocked at that third bouquet class and how I never even posted it on Facebook or Instagram. And it just sold out through those people. So I'd say over the winter, if anybody needs something to do, um, set up an email list. And one of my friends had a good point. She's like, you should put these little stories because I talk about like our dog eating the fish fertilizer or the gophers or whatever. She's like, you need to add a blog to your website. And then you could just move these things over to a blog. So I think that that's a really good idea to get more traction to your space on the internet. (laughs) And I think too, now I'm not an expert in the SEO, Mm -hmm. but I think if you have that engagement Mm -hmm. on your website, you show up more. Mm -hmm. So that's excellent advice. Mm -hmm. Well, Jillian, this has been so great. Thank Thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing your experience. And I'm excited to follow along and see your growth as you evolve in your flower farming journey. Oh, well, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. I just want to say thank you again to Jillian for such a great conversation. I think this is a perfect time to just remind everybody that this is your journey. Whether you want to run a smaller operation, that you have flexibility to take care of your kids and manage what you've got in front of you, or you want a larger operation that has multiple employees, it doesn't matter. This is your journey and the goals that you set for yourself are what define your success, not somebody else's definition of success. And so whether you're in a big town or a small 
small town, there are opportunities for local flowers to thrive. And I think Jillian is a perfect example of that, that she lives in a town of 600 people, but those 600 people haven't had this type of opportunity to enjoy local blooms. And so she's brought something new and exciting to that community. And I just hope that you found encouragement from her story because I know I did. So please, as a reminder to everybody, don't get stuck in the Facebook or the Instagram worlds where people say you have to do X, Y, and Z because they don't live in your town. They don't live in your community and they don't live in your household. And you are going to succeed based on the goals you set for yourself and the hard work that you put into it. So thank you again, Jillian, for such a great conversation. And I hope you all enjoyed it and are doing well. Take care. Well, that wraps up this episode. Thank you so much for joining in to the conversation. And together, all boats will rise and local flowers will be blooming fabulous in all of our communities. So if you are a fellow flower farmer that want to join in on the conversation, please reach out to us to get you scheduled for a podcast episode. And if you're just listening in and enjoy the podcast, please share with your friends, your family, and everybody you know. We really appreciate it. Thank you.